Last week in chapter 11, we went low with Paul. Paul took us down into his sufferings, the depths of his um, persecutions, his anguish that he had for the church, how he went hungry, sleepless many nights, lost at sea more than once, beaten, whipped. And, uh, and, and he even tells about the conflict he's had with false apostles uh, sort of, sort of like false teachers who would come into the church and try to um, take away from from what Paul is saying and from Paul's authority. The Corinthian church wanted people who were like strong leaders, really gifted in eloquence and teach, uh, uh, you know, rhetorical flourishes. I guess um, really well educated. Um, Paul didn't have anything any of that to offer. He kind of implies like he might be a little bit short. He's like not really much of a physical presence, but but nevertheless, he, he asserts his rights as a true apostle. He's a, he's a true apostle and not a false apostle. Um, and so Paul, and Paul boasts in his weaknesses. He doesn't boast in his strengths. That would be the worldly way of doing things, would be to boast in our strengths. Paul boasts in what brings him low. And, and um, we see him at the very end of chapter 11 <clears throat> being let down out of a window through a wall. The whole city of Damascus was guarded to try to, try to get Paul. And he was let down like a box of vegetables or something out of the grocery store. He's like, goes down out of this wall. And so um, it's not like the kind of rousing introduction you would really want for a speaker if you were to come and teach in your church. Paul says, like, look, this is how low I went. I was, you know, I'm, there's not much uh, to my person. But so, but as Paul is trying to um, assert his, his authority and his legitimate leadership of the church, um, he's had to do something which is, which is not pleasant to him, which is to... Uh, which is to kind of boast of the things that um, that make him strong, and, and in Paul's case, he's saying that in the kingdom of God, it's what your weaknesses are that make you strong. And so, though Paul doesn't want to do it, he's going to go on boasting here in chapter twelve. And I'll go ahead and read chapter twelve for us. Paul says, "I must go on boasting." And one other thought too: there's a there's just a a vein of irony and sarcasm in this whole chapter, I guess, where Paul is. He, he doesn't want to boast, but he kind of has to, and he does it kind of in an ironic way. So that's important as you're trying to interpret this chapter and understand what he's saying. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on divisions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though I, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. So here for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It's in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Okay, so that's Second Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> and again, just, just to reiterate, we've, we've seen repeatedly in Second Corinthians how Paul is compelled, to, kind of against his will, to defend his apostolic authority. He finds it kind of distasteful. He, doesn't, he thinks it's foolish to have to defend himself. Um, he doesn't want to assert himself. But he knows that the well-being of the Corinthian church is at stake, and so he kind of has to do it for their sake. They, they haven't left him any other choice. Um, there's nothing more that Paul is concerned about than the welfare of the church. And so in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. So, so some people in the Corinthian church are questioning Paul. They're wanting to know, what, what are your credentials to be an apostle? So he'll give them to them. He'll provide them. And um, he's, he doesn't want to do this, but Paul has this kind of like ace in the hole that some of these other false apostles don't have. Some, some of them are boasting about like spiritual experiences. And Paul has kind of like the biggest one of them all. He's going to talk about this incredible um, vision or revelation of the Lord that has been granted to him in verse 1. Um, again, he says it's not profitable. It's not, I mean, as great as it is, there are some things that God might show you as a gift. God might just give you a wonderful expression of his love that is, is, is amazing. But it's like, it, it might be something you just take with yourself to heaven because it's just a gift that God gave you. And, and sometimes it's okay to share with other people what you've learned and what God has been showing you, but sometimes it's not profitable. And for Paul, he's not quick to mention this. Um, he says, I know a man caught in Christ, who in Christ was 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Um, so um, it, it, it's, it seems so incredible that Paul doesn't even know whether he was physically in, or in his body or not. <clears throat> he, he does refer to visions, but he doesn't tell us a whole lot of details. He doesn't know whether he actually, we don't know whether Paul actually saw things with his eyes or whether he was just hearing things with his ears. Um, he doesn't give us a whole lot of details. So he can't really draw a whole lot of conclusions about what it was, just that it was incredible. Um, and so, now this had happened other times before to Paul. He had, he had, in fact, seen visions and had revelations at many other points. Um, his conversion, for example, on the road to Damascus. Um, twice at Jerusalem, at Antioch, also at Corinth. You can read about these in Acts and Galatians. 
Um, in Acts 27, he was at sea en route to Rome, and kind of an angel appeared to him and told him that, that, that the, he and the ship he was traveling with would be safe. Um, so Paul had plenty of visions, but this one apparently just trumped all of them. Um, and again, Paul warns, like Paul warns us in Second um, Colossians chapter 2. Um, I'll just go ahead and read this little warning that Paul gives us about Paul, Paul wants to warn the Colossian church to watch out for people who would, who would kind of lead you astray. He says in verse 18, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, who's Christ. Okay, so like, if, if someone comes into your church and says, like, I've been having all these wonderful visions and revelations, and he's like talking more about that than he is about Jesus, watch out. You know, don't... Really turn your suspicion radar on high, I guess, when someone does that. Uh, nevertheless, though, Paul, Paul does make some mention of this um, because he has to do it for the Corinthian church. Um, so, okay, back here in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, um, just, the, just the experience was so overwhelmingly intense that, again, like I said, Paul wasn't even sure whether he was in the body or not. Um, but and because he's kind of slow to talk about it, he talks about himself in the third person. Like he says, "I know a man." He, he's kind of in a backhanded way referring to himself because um, he 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 just refuses to boast about his own accomplishments. Um, again, just shows how distasteful Paul finds it to be boasting about what he's what he's done. Um, he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Um, and again. So, it's appropriate if you've had just a wonderful experience of God's love. If God has shown things, revealed things to you, either in his word or in your prayer time, it's entirely appropriate to share that with others and to, to encourage them, to encourage the other believers and to talk about that. And, um, but sometimes when that happens, an unhealthy thing can happen. Maybe the person begins to, to seem like a kind of next level of Christian or something, or maybe others might be jealous of that experience. You know, that's, that's not healthy. That's, not, that's the danger that can happen. Um, there's only one level of Christian. We're all on the same level. We're all, we all have the same Holy Spirit, no matter how old we are, how young we are. We, um, and, and all of us haven't, haven't arrived at Until we die, until we're in heaven with Jesus, like, we're still a work in progress. We still have sins that we're going to wrestle with. We're going to have disappointments. We're going to let other people down. And we still have more to learn. Um, but I will say this. Like, uh, just uh, In 1 Peter 1.8, I just want to share this one verse, and you can kind of think about this. We do want to experience more of God. And First Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Doubtless, Paul's experience was just unique. I don't think that's normal for most Christians by far. You know, but but we do have an inexpressible joy in our hearts when when we know Jesus and when we when we learn more about Him. There's just you can't put it in words. Sometimes, some not every day is like that. Not every day of the Christian life is like a bed of roses or like that. But but sometimes God does just to keep our faith strong and to help us just remember that we're Christians and He really has saved us. He does give us more of Himself, and and Peter calls that just inexpressible joy. Um, so we should seek that. That is a good positive thing. We should seek more of God. We should be filled with the Spirit. We should seek more of His just pleasure in God, I guess. Um, I don't think anybody can argue against that. So, um, nevertheless, Paul is loath to talk about this because he, he doesn't want to boast. Um, 
And all of this is a prelude to Paul's thorn. What is Paul's thorn? Okay, so he's going to talk about this. Um, lest, lest he be too elated by the revelations that he had. Because um, Paul, just like anyone else, he has a pride. He has an ego. God's going to smash that with, with a thorn. Um, um, the whole point of this experience was to, uh, was to show how God's grace is sufficient in our weakness. Um, okay, so let's see. So going on here, let's, let's talk about the thorn here. Um, you know, Paul has no problems thinking that he's not special. He, he's, not, he's not just a um, special, more spiritual person. Um, he, he is... <clears throat> He is prevented from pride by, by this thorn that God gives him. Um, now, we don't know exactly what the thorn was, but we do know what his purpose was. Verse 7 says, "...is to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelation. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated." So basically, so that I don't get puffed up too much, um, God gives me this, this thorn. And it's, it's translated, um, sometimes it can be like a stake or a spike you might secure a tent to the ground with. Or it might just refer to like a splinter or like a you know like a thorn from a plant or something, whatever it is. Paul Paul kind of sees himself as just like being paralyzed by this affliction sometimes, um, just like kind of pinned to the ground and helpless. And it must have been excruciating, whatever it was, um, especially since he he had all these afflictions in chapter eleven. Um, he asked to be spared from this, <laughs> um, and and not from the other things. Um, so it wasn't just some minor irritation. Um, probably it was some kind of physical sickness. Um, it may have been a sort of demonic agent, or it may even have been like the persecution that he f- uh, felt, felt from other people that were uh, antagonistic to the Christian message. Uh, but whatever it is, it was regular and it had intense discomfort. Um, again, to keep him from exalting himself. Um, so, and he says in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times. And I think what Paul means when he says three times he pleaded with God, it was probably intense seasons of prayer. It probably wasn't just like one evening. Um, it was probably like several days, maybe weeks, where he might have fasted and said, God, please, you know, take this away from me. <clears throat> I just, because he says three times I pleaded, I don't think that was just like a light thing. Um, now I, I don't I don't I don't think we were supposed to know exactly what the thorn was. Um, probably most most people would say it, it was a physical sickness, perhaps an eye condition. Um, there's some reasons for thinking that. Um, if you have read Galatians, you know Paul closes his letter to the Galatians by saying, "See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand." It sounds like if he was writing in large letters, he had like an eye condition where he couldn't see very well. Um, he also tells the Galatians in chapter four. It says, you Galatians, you, the Galatian church, know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. Or you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul says, like, the Galatians, like, you cared for me so much, you would have given me your own eyes. Um, so, so some have thought, well, maybe that means... Paul had some problem with his eyes, and they would, the Galatians would have preferred to just give them their own, I guess, so Paul could see better or something. Um, we can't be entirely sure about that, but um, and I don't want to be either, because there is, there is a sense in which all of us can take comfort from the fact that you know, 
if, if Paul had this tremendous difficulty, we too in our own circumstances, we can know that um, just as Paul prayed and he didn't get the relief that he sought in the prayer, we too, sometimes we don't, we don't get the relief that we asked for, um, we can still take comfort in, in knowing that God is in charge and that God has some good design for, our, for us. Um, let me just, before we go on in the chapter, I want to talk about a few things that we learn from this. And especially as we get into the verse 9, the, kind of the high point of the whole book of Second Corinthians, when, when Paul prays and his response from God, the response from Jesus is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul hears that and he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So had, had Paul prayed and gotten the relief, if the thorn had gone away, perhaps he may not have learned that lesson at the end of verse 9, that, that it's through weakness that the power of Christ rests on him. So, so God, God had a reason for it. You know, Paul, Paul sought God three times, but he doesn't just say, like, okay, God, whatever will be, will be. Um, that's, the future is just set, and I am just, I'm just a pawn in it, like, uh, you know, just whatever happened. I, I, I'm not going to be happy about this. But, but he's, he's not like that. He's joyfully accepting of what God has given him. He's joyfully accepting this thorn. Paul has this theology already that God, you know, has, has good things in store for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, he brings that to bear in his own situation. Um, and so he says in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, and I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's the paradox of the Christian life. You know, things are upside down in Christianity. Like uh, our kind of American way of seeing things is, you know, you have the people who are strongest. Like they're the people that are going to be on top of the organization, and you know, and just just that just holds true to all of life. Like you would you would want the most strongest person you want to be in charge or to be your captain or to whatever you want. Um, or if you're thinking about how someone's evaluating you, like, well, we <laughs> you, you want to. You want to put your best face forward. You want, you want, you want to have the, your strengths. You want to lead with your strengths. On your job application, they're going to ask you what are your strengths and weaknesses. You want to play up your strengths as much as possible and play down your weaknesses. When you do list your weaknesses, you want to do like a humble brag and say like, I, uh, you know, my weakness is that I work too hard. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, that kind of thing. Like, that, that's, that's how we want to do things. But, um, but, uh, but things are different in the Christian church. And Jesus said he... He who is first will be last. He who is last will be first. So, so Paul learned this, and he wouldn't have learned it were, were, the, were the thorn taken away. Uh, human weakness provides a platform for divine strength. You know, when we are weak, then that gives God the opportunity to get all the glory. You know, if, if we do something out of the strength of our own might, how, how much is God going to be praised than, than if we pray and if you're the weakest person doing the hardest job, you know it's God that, it's, that God is giving them the success. Um, and Paul doesn't just, he doesn't want to suffer for suffering's sake, okay? So, I mean, he, he, it is appropriate to pray that we don't have persecution, that we don't have suffering. It is appropriate to pray for the relief of physical pain. Um, you know, it would just be, Kind of a sick fanatic, I guess, who would want to take pleasure in getting sufferings on himself or others, I guess. But um, so that's why we do we do pray. We do, but we pray for a strength to endure our sufferings. Um, that way, God would get all the glory. 
um, and Christ draws near to us, and Christ draws near to us in, in our sufferings and gives us strength. Um, so, so Paul's Paul's suffering this thorn. It seems like it was ongoing. It was like always kind of present there, and maybe even as he was writing this chapter, this uh, this part in Second Corinthians, he may even have been fe- feeling intense pain at that moment. Um, but then being strengthened by Jesus um, because of it. Um, so Paul says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. Um, or my translation says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Depending on what you have, it may say that. Um, what, but what, what is Paul rather boasting about? He, he would rather boast about his weaknesses than opposed, as opposed to the revelations and, and that he had, the revelations and the visions in verses 1 through 6. Yeah, I was caught up to the third heaven. So what? You know, <laughs> it, that doesn't prove my apostleship. You know, our subjective experience of spiritual things, like, that's not what proves Paul's apostleship. It goes along with it, but it's not the only thing. Um, Paul would rather boast of the things that make him weak, uh, make him out to be weak. And, and, and Paul did learn, too, that God was more concerned about Paul's holiness, about, God, uh, about Paul's contentment in God, than Paul's physical pleasure or physical um, ease or comfort. So, so Paul can say, like, if, if God knows best, if, if God thinks that the best way to make Paul humble was to physically hurt him, so, so be it. You know, God knows better than I do. Uh, none of us are guaranteed ease and just a painless, comfortable existence, I guess. Um, so that takes us through verse 10. I want to go on here. Paul keeps on boasting. It says in verse 11, I have been a fool. He's, 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 he's a fool for boasting because he doesn't want to boast. He says, you forced me to it. So now, now um, Paul's going to say with, again, irony and sarcasm, when, when these false apostles came into the church and they, uh, and they were kind of parading around, displaying their strengths, um, instead, of saying, instead of like praising me, you commended this, the false apostles and, and you agreed with them in their, in their strengths. Uh, I set an example for you of Christ-like humility and sacrifice. I didn't fail you. Um, but when the false apostles came in and they undermined my character and they undermined my authority, uh, you, you, you kept your mouth shut and you actually agreed with them, basically. And he's, he, he's, he's saying the, the false apostles, you, you should have rebuked them, but instead of rebuking them, you, you agreed with them. Um, and Paul says in verse 11, I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. That's kind of a backhanded way of saying that the super apostles were less than nothing. So if Paul's nothing and they're less than him, then they're... They're less than nothing. Okay. Um, so the Corinthians were just, they preferred a worldly standard of leadership as opposed to, as opposed to Christ-like humility. Um, let's go on verse 12 here. Paul says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Um, the NIV uh, translates this in a way that may be a little confusing the NIV says the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. Um, and so when, when it translates it that way, I, I think it's a little misleading. I, I, I think um, uh, a translation like the NASB or, uh, is, is a little more accurate when it says the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance. 
accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles. It may seem like a little bit of a detail here, but, but Paul is saying like the signs of apostle are not necessarily signs, wonders, and uh, mighty works, basically miracles. Um, and and I'll, I'll flesh this out in a second why, why I emphasize that. But, but uh, Paul is saying that miraculous phenomena, things, things, things like healings or, or whatnot, those, those accompanied Paul's ministry in Corinth, but they weren't themselves the sign of his apostleship. Um, they went along with it. Um, now, one, one characteristic of the apostolic ministry is, in fact, the miraculous um, activity. Um, but there were other Christians in the early church who performed miracles and were not apostles. Um, think of Philip and Stephen, the Galatian church, and others. Um, um, why, why do I mention this? Okay, so I, because I think the signs of a true apostle, what are those? I think those are things like spiritual power and conflict with evil. That, that Paul, um, when, when, when demonic activity is, was at stake, Paul would pray and the, um, he, he, would, he would pray in God's authority. Um, he, would, he would have conflict with, with Satan and demons. Um, he would have power even though he was physically weak. He exhibited Christ-likeness. I think that's the mark of an apostle. Even in hardship, that you, that you demonstrate kind of the mind of Christ and you... And you just you just selflessly push, push on through because you're concerned for the other churches, you're concerned for the believers in the churches that might be taken advantage of. Um, you're generous. Paul was very generous. He he supported himself. He didn't ask for support from others. Um, he worked with his own hands. Uh, he was humble. He also had a true knowledge of Jesus. He accurately taught the life of Jesus and the gospel. I think that's a mark of an apostle. Um, and verse twelve says. That it, that it was done with patience. Um, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. So, so Paul like, labored for a long period of time. He, was, he, in, he endured for a long time doing these things. Uh, miracles, I think normally when I think of a miracle, I, I don't think it would necessarily take patience to do that. I think it oftentimes might happen very quickly. But to demonstrate humility, whereas the false apostles were prideful, um, they sought selfish ends, and Paul was selfless. That takes a while to do. Now, I do want to say very clearly there is a difference between apostles like Paul um, and the Twelve, for example, and other Christians generally. Um, just to give you a flavor of that, in Galatians 1.1, it's actually probably just on the next page if you're on 2 Corinthians 12. Paul calls himself in Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul says, I am an apostle not by other people, but from God himself. Jesus himself commissioned me as an apostle and gave me authority. Um, also in verses 11 through 24, you can read that. I won't read it all, but again in Galatians 1. I'll just read verse 11. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He received the gospel from Jesus Christ. Paul in Damascus wrote, he actually saw Jesus himself, the risen Lord. That, I believe, is a sign of an apostle. Um, but there was one mark of the apostle that Paul was lacking, and that's in verse 13. Paul says, And what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Basically, the one mark of an apostle I didn't have was that I didn't take your money. I worked for free. Sorry. You know? I worked free of charge. Um, apostles, the apostles did have the right to do that. They were... 
Um, and, and, and they were first in authority, but last in privilege. Okay, Paul does assert his right to receive wages, and for others, if they wanted to, it was okay. But for Paul himself, he didn't want that. He, he wanted to support himself. He was a tent maker. And so he says, excuse me, I, you know, please forgive me. So he's being very sarcastic, like I mentioned, um, in verse 13. Um, and just to go on here, uh, verses 14 and through 18 and onwards. So, so Paul says in uh, <clears throat> verses 14 through 15 that he's not directly going to take the uh, Corinthians' money. He doesn't want their possessions. He wants them. That's a, that's a wonderful phrase here. I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. I love that. I do not seek what is yours. He doesn't want the Corinthians' money. He doesn't want to get their support. The, the word there says, I will not be a burden. That's kind of like what's translated there is the sense of numbness you get from a heavy load. Like if you're carrying something, like a big backpack, your shoulder gets numb. Like it's because like you've, the burden you've been carrying is so great that you just kind of lose feeling. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want them to have that burden. Um, and he gives this example of parents who parents have the obligation to save up for their children, not vice versa. Children don't have the obligation to save up their, for their parents. Paul is delighted to pour himself out for the uh, Corinthian church's welfare. No resentment on his part that he, that he does not take their money, even though they just are ungrateful and treat him unfairly. Um, so he says, I'll spend until I'm spent for you. He won't take their money directly. He wants them. Uh, so just again, just a wonderful statement. He wants, he wants them. He wants their continued allegiance and love. He wants them to continue on. As they've, as they've begun in Christ, he wants them to continue on in Christ and be elite, um, allied to him. Paul says in verses 16 through 18 that he's not going to indirectly take their money. Um, so 16 through 18, um, Paul's dealing with this kind of charge that maybe, maybe even though Paul wasn't directly taking our money, maybe he was getting it in from the back door. Maybe like Titus or some of the other um, helpers were um, supplying Paul's, Paul's, uh, Paul's living expenses. And um, so there's this kind of like this false accusation. They thought maybe he was skimming off the top of the collection for the saints in Jerusalem, perhaps. So, but, he, but he says, no, I, I, will not, I will not do that. He says, did Titus take advantage of you? Do we not act in the same spirit? Do we not take the same steps? No, Titus and all of them, we're, we're all together. We're, we're not going to take advantage of you in this way. So, again, just going right along here in 2 Corinthians, verse 19 He says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Paul doesn't want to defend himself. He, 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 is, he, he wants to assure them that in any measure that he's spoken of himself, he, he's doing it for their welfare. He, he's trying to look out for the well-being of the Corinthian church. He, he calls God as his witness. So, so these closing verses here in chapter 12 are talking about Paul's fear his fear about what's going to happen, what the situation is going to be like when he comes and visits the Corinthian church <clears throat> because of the um, sin issues that are present there. Excuse me. He says in verse 24, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. So you can picture the scene. It's, it's not that Paul is um, scared to deal with sinful issues when he gets to the church, but just all the emotional wreckage that goes with that. Like if people are in unrepentant sin, well, that means you have to call it to account. You have to identify that the sin is the sin. 
You have to encourage people to repent of it. And especially if it's been an ongoing, lingering problem. And if people have already been disciplined, then they may even have to be put out of the church. There's going to be accusations. There's going to be recrimination. There might be rumors going around. Paul hates that. He doesn't want that. And, and, and Paul can't separate himself out of it from, from that either. He, he knows that he himself, because he, because he led them so much, like he has a part in that. Um, it's not his fault, but, but he, he is mixed up into it. And, and he, Paul doesn't want that. He's not going to be the kind of guy that goes in and says, how could you do this? You know, and he, he's not going to be just heavy-handed with it, but he, he's going to weep over these people at their unrepentant sin. He won't have dry eyes. He'll be crying. He'll be weeping over people. Um, he will take no delight in doing that. So some of the things that, that are lingering problems, Paul mentions, um, I guess here in verse 21, he says, uh, I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. These are things just, um, impurity would just be just kind of any kind of uncleanness. Um, um, immorality is... That's just that's just sexual sins of any sort. The, the sexual immorality there—that's um, where we get the word por- pornography from. It covers any any kind of sexual sin uh, whatsoever, and and uh, and sensuality. Sensuality is just kind of like all those kind of like public mores we have about what's what's appropriate in public. Like you just throw those out the window. And the Corinthian church was was well known that the the sin of the Corinthian. Not the Corinthian church, well, then as well, but the Corinthian city, just the extent of the sexual sin there was well documented. Um, and all, all of this grief, Paul. So this, this is kind of a awkward uh, verse to end on in the chapter, but I just want to say that part of the authority that we have as Christians in general is just to, just to agree with God that sin is sin, to identify sin as being wrong. When we see it in ourselves or in another, we should we should call it to account. We should confess it um, if if others if we need to. But also agree that sin is only sin. I, I try to say that a lot. Sin is only sin, and mean, that means that it can only do so much damage. And if you confess it, all sin can be confessed. All sin can be re- repented of. There's nothing so great, you know, that that God can't forgive you of it if you if you confess it. So if we've done that, if we've identified what our sin is, and if we've made a new start with Jesus, where we're no longer defined by our sin, it doesn't mark us any longer. We're identified with Jesus. We can take comfort in that. The reason Paul's going to mourn, if Paul, Paul's, Paul's worried about mourning over the Corinthians, is because it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to stay in your sin, no matter what it is. It, it might be small, it might be great. But Christians can change, just by definition. A Christian is a person who's... Doesn't, doesn't have to say the status quo your your whole life. You can change if you have this. If you believed in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. He gives you the strength to change. So I'm just kind of leave it there, and I want to give you just that hope, and just know that if you have believed in Jesus, that that things can be different. Um, and, and think about, you know, as, as we go into our open time, think about the weaknesses that you have in your life. Think about those things that maybe you're ashamed of. <clears throat> Perhaps are there reasons that God has put those in your life where you might be able to use them for others. 
can you think about Jesus' grace for you? In verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Has God put this weakness in your life so that he would be made much of? Um, so I just invite you to think about that. I invite you, okay, so um, we have the bread and the cup here. As uh, We'll go into an open time where at any point during the, during the songs or during the worship here, you can take the bread and the cup to remember what Jesus has done for us. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross, a bloody death for our sakes that, that we could be made right with God if we accept him. So if you're a believer, we invite you to take that today. Um, and just know that Jesus is in heaven. He's interceding for you. Um, yeah, so just invite the musicians to come back up. So at any point, if, you're, uh, if, if, if you want to share something here, you, you can. If you uh, want to request a song, um, read a verse from Scripture, that's fine. Uh, we just ask that if you're going to teach something a little more uh, with more authority that, that you've like, gone through our foundations class and know us a little bit better. Um, otherwise, let me pray for us to close and we'll, we'll go forward. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's example of humility. Um, God, I pray for your spirit to be among us here this morning. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. <coughs> thank you for Jesus, God, who did, who did go to the cross and die for us. He's risen and is in heaven, God, interceding for us. Um, We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.